Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books and Food, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Amir Sayyad Abdi, the host of the channel. Today, I have the pleasure to talk to Rosa Abru-Bronkel about her new book, Vanilla, A Global History, which was published in 2020 by Reaction Books. Rosa is an assistant professor at New York City College of Technology Hospitality Department. Rosa, thanks for accepting my invitation. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for inviting me uh, to your podcast. Okay, to uh, start off, Rosa, I'd like to ask you to give us a bit of background about yourself and also about your research. Well, I basically uh, started off in hospitality management. I worked in hotels for many years in the arena of food and beverage. And, and then I transitioned into teaching hospitality management. I always have had an interest in food. And this is what led me to uh, start thinking about my scholarship and I, what I wanted to do. Uh, and that led me to uh, Vanilla. Uh, the, and the book is published as part of uh, Reaction Books Edible series. And uh, for those listeners who uh, don't know about Edible series, it's a series that focuses on the global history and culture of one type of food or beverage in each of its book. And your book, Rosa, is on vanilla. Why vanilla? Well, it's funny how that intertwined with my childhood. Um, like I mentioned, I was looking for a topic to for my scholarship. And I was reading, I picked up a, a Wall Street Journal, uh, which is one of our papers here in the States. And I read that there was a shortage of vanilla in the uh, coming from Madagascar due to global warming. Uh, so that just basically just came to me as you're, you know this topic and immediately transported me to uh, vanilla in my childhood. Um, I come from the Dominican Republic and our vanilla 
It is extremely potent. You put a little bit and you smell it. And I remember as a child, my mother uh, cooking all these wonderful desserts with vanilla. And that became the topic that I wanted to write about. Okay, it's uh, it's really interesting how our childhood, you know, adventures and memories take us through a, a whole career. Um, could you could you give us a little light version, sort of, of the historical background of vanilla as you discuss in your book? I mean, where does it come from? How long uh, has it been in, in existence, and uh, how long has it been used in, as as an ingredient? And uh, also, has it been used differently in different cultures throughout history? Well. Just to start off with the with the historical perspective of vanilla, vanilla uh, has been in existence for more than 70 million years. And uh, the vine uh, in its natural state has grown from uh, North America, we're talking about Mexico, to all the way to South America in the northern part of Brazil. Now, what we know of the human usage of vanilla has been in human, you know, in humans using it about two to three thousand years. How that we came about this shriveled up pod? It is thought that uh, the indigenous uh, peoples saw the vanilla uh, pod shriveled up on the on the forest floor, and they picked it up and they started uh, using it. And they used it uh, as a remedy. They used, uh, they mixed it with uh, with pine resin, and in that pine resin became. Uh, they used to put it as incense in their temples. So, the the Mesoamerican cultures of the time were uh, that used vanilla, and it's not well known. It was the you know the Olmecs, the Toltecs, the Mayans the Totemics and the final users were the Aztecs. And the Totemics were, were basically considered, they're considered still to this day, the guardians of vanilla. Uh, how this came about was because they have certain stories connected to the vine. And one of them is, um, uh, one of these stories is uh, Sagnap who was uh, the daughter of the goddess of fertility. And she fell in love with a mortal man. She knew she couldn't be human. So she decided to convert herself into a vanilla vine. So for the Tadanaks, this was a sign of devotion and love. And they decided to adapt the actual uh, vine itself through these stories, right? There's one of them, but there's a lot more uh, that have become part of the folklore. Incoming Columbus, and obviously with Columbus right behind him comes the conquistadors. And the conquistadors um, obviously came with, uh, with, you know, with the church and, and, and priest into, into that, in that, in that part of the world. And, um, Hernan Cortez is, is the, basically the, the, the person that comes in and says, well, we're going to make this. They, he didn't have a lot of men, but however, he made an impression on the indigenous population who hated the Mayans, the, the, excuse me, 
you can edit that. Uh, they, they actually hated the, the Aztecs. Why? Because the Aztecs were cruel to the, his, their human subjects. They did human sacrifices. So when uh, these other indigenous groups saw the uh, Spaniards or the conquistadors come, coming along to towards Mexico City, they join in and they helped obviously um, conquer Mexico. Now, when the when the when the conquistadors came to Mexico City and Montezuma and his people saw them, they thought they were gods. They never seen weapons. They never seen a horse. So they treated them with banquets and uh, all types of delicacy that they ate at those times. So one of the things um, that one of the soldiers from Hernan Cortez's um, crew was uh, Bernard uh, Diaz de Castillo. And he noticed that Montezuma was drinking this brew. Uh, he was drinking all these uh, cups of this particular brew. And he was curious. So they tried it. And uh, the Aztecs call it Sokotal which is what we know today as chocolate. And the brew was thick, was bitter. Uh, the Spaniards thought it was disgusting. And, uh, but it had obviously chocolate, it had vanilla, it had honey and other spices, which for, uh, for Montezuma, it was considered to be an aphrodisiac since he had a harem full of wives at, at the time. Now, the secret to vanilla and how it, it was uh, produced was never really divulged by the Taranacs. They, uh, they actually gathered the, the actual pods in the wild, but never told anyone about where they were producing or what to do with them. So uh, until uh, there was a friar that came um, from Spain, his name, is, uh, his name was Fernandino de Sahagón, and he started living with the indigenous people and watching to see what they were doing. And one of the things that he noticed was that they were using vanilla and mixing it up with other herbs and uh, chilies to, for urine flow, for obviously aphrodisiac, for stomach problems, for flatulence. So he recorded all of this. Now, all of this information was published 250 years later after his death, and it became the Florentine Codex. And the Florentine Codex was actually kept in the Vatican uh, until uh, John Paul uh, became the Pope. He basically decided to return uh, the Codex back to the Mexican people. So it's now in the National Archives of Mexico with all, obviously, with all of the uh, information that he gathered. So what is really vanilla? Vanilla belongs to the largest family of flowering plants in the world. The beans belong to angiosperms um, that belongs to the plantae kingdom. And the plantain kingdom is, has, you know, obviously the peas, the soybeans, uh, lentils, uh, cassia, uh, alfalfa. Uh, those are the ones that come from this particular kingdom. And this is where vanilla comes from. We have 110 varieties of vanilla and 25,000 
hybrids that have been uh, identified. Now, the main, um, the main vanilla variety, it is called panifolia. And panifolia is considered to be the mother of commercial vanillas and is actually cultivated in Mexico and Madagascar. You have also pompona, and pompona is actually used for perfumes. You have uh, tahintesis, uh, which is a cross between panifolia and adorata. Uh, which was uh, this particular variety was uh, brought to the French Polynesia, and now that's why it's called uh, this particular name. Now, you also have other varieties, Endora, Mexicana, Hardy, and Bicolor, um, and obviously many more. Vanilla itself, how it's produced? It's actually produced uh, in, if it's in the wild, obviously it's a climber. And uh, it climbs any, you know, many trees up to, you know, the canopy. And um, the natural pollinators uh, of, the, of the actual flower is malapona, hummingbirds, but mainly it will be the usagling bee, which is a real, real tiny bee that actually gets inside the flower. And what happens with, it, it, so the flower has both sexes. So once the bee goes inside, the sticky pollen gets into the body. And as they're exiting the flower, it actually pollinates it. And this is how, you know, the bean is produced. Is produced. Now, many, many uh, horticulturists uh, were intrigued. Um, also, the English and the French wanted to break the monopoly, the 200-year monopoly that Mexico had with vanilla. And what they did was they, uh, they looked into the empires and they said, well, we have countries that have the same, the same climate. So there's two ways of producing the, the actual vine, cuttings or the tiny little seeds obviously the cuttings will be more successful. And what they did was they took the cuttings to, uh, the French took the cuttings to Bourbon, Bourbon Island, which is now, now called Reunion Island. And in Reunion Island and other, you know, Madagascar, Reunion, uh, other places, the vines did thrive. However, they did not um, they did not produce any beans, or sometimes they didn't flower, or sometimes they did flower. So they were quite intrigued with this. And um, obviously, the, the beans, they were known in Europe, and they were really, really concerned about how we're going to, how we're going to produce this. So Morgan, uh, Hugh Morgan, which is the apothecary to Queen Elizabeth at the time, he gave some beans to, uh, one of the horticulturists and scientists to kind of study. Um, Elizabeth I, uh, Queen Elizabeth I loved sweets and he basically started uh, putting vanilla in all of her food. And uh, because again, it had this uh, idea that it was, uh, you know, it, it, it was an aphrodisiac. So, uh, so that's that in Europe, this is, this is where vanilla is going. Um, you had um, Louis the Fourth, uh, Louis the Fourteenth. Uh, um, her, uh, 
Louis the Fourteenth, the um, his his um, obvious love his lover Marquise de Mostespan used to uh, bathe in vanilla um, beans um, and and flowers. Also, Marie Antoinette, she wanted to have a perfume made. It had a perfume made uh, with vanilla and flowers as well. So. Obviously, vanilla is slowly growing in popularity. You had it in uh, in Paris, uh, and it was exhibited a flower, but it died. And then you had um, you actually had a botanist who in Brussels who really studied who really studied the vine, and he basically. Uh, came with the with uh, came with the conclusion that the flower needed to be pollinated. Two years later, uh, two years later after this this uh, discovery, which was not published in the island of Reunion, in in one of the plantations, uh, they Mr. Beaumont, who had uh, who was a botanist himself. He had a 12-year-old slave boy. His name was Albius. And he used to make rounds around the plantation. And one day, he had an actual 22-year-old vine of vanilla, and which flowered but never produced any fruit. One day that he was walking around, all of a sudden, he sees fruit. And he was amazed. I was like, how does this happen? And he asked Albius, did you do something to it? Albius was like, well, I, this is what I did. I took a bamboo stick and I inserted into the flower. And this is, I guess, what happened. So they couldn't believe it. They, they couldn't believe it. Um, the All these plantation owners, they were botanists. They were scientists. They couldn't figure out how, to, how this fruit was going to come out. And a slave boy, who was 12 years old, figured it out. So he did it again. He showed everybody and he produced the beans. So uh, obviously he was freed uh, after this. He died in poverty, uh, but he basically left a legacy of millions and millions of dollars. Now, vanilla mass produced is still done to this day. Vanilla is actually pollinated uh, by hand, by women, by children, by men. This is how it's done, uh, the actual bees. So fast forward, America. So Thomas Jefferson, who became a diplomat representing the uh, United States in, in Europe, uh, went to Paris. And when he went to Paris, he bought his slave, uh, called James Hemmings, and James Hemmings was his cook. And um, so uh, an actual fact, which is an interesting fact, is that James Hemmings becomes the first American to be um, to be actually taught how to do how to cook uh, in the French culinary uh, French culinary arts. So he's he's a slave and he's actually the first American to be taught on how to, how to cook French food. So Jefferson comes back to the United States, but he continues to ask uh, Paris, you know, his contact in Paris to bring him back the vanilla beans because he couldn't get it in the States. And um, so Jefferson started uh, 
there's a famous uh, ice cream, which is in the book, ice cream recipe, which is the vanilla recipe. And uh, to me, it was like, okay, Jefferson, it's Jefferson ice cream, but I believe James Hemmings was really the one behind this recipe because actually he was the chef. So, um, so a little interesting fact in there uh, about it. So again, uh, another uh, great one of the first ladies, uh, Dolly Madison, she did a lot of state dinners at the White House and she served ice cream. Again, giving a more popularity to the flavor itself. So in 1847, uh, Joseph Burnett, who was an American scientist or chemist, he made the first extract. So he was the one that developed the extra vanilla extract that is being able to obviously uh, sold and go into households. In 1818, uh, the vanilla, which is actually the dominant flavor, the flavor and the smell that vanilla has is called vanilla. And in vanilla is, you know, these, they're tiny little crystals that are outside and inside of the pod that you cannot really see. So Nicholas Gobley was the one that was able to isolate uh, this particular flavor of vanilla. In 1874, there were some German scientists that developed uh, the synthetic, synthetic flavor of vanilla out of pine bark. So here slowly, Obviously, now the chemists and scientists are beginning to get away from the real stuff and they go into the synthetic uh, portion of vanilla. Now, a pharmacist called uh, Pemberton, he was in, he, so he was wounded in the Civil War and Pemberton was addicted to morphine because of his, the pains that he was having. So uh, Pemberton decided to concoct something together uh, which was the uh, is called French the French syrup, and this this French cola syrup had coca leaves, it had vanilla, and it had other oils and other uh, items to make it this cola that he called cola. So this particular syrup he bought it to a friend pharmacist of his. Now back in those days to uh, to get, uh, to get uh, syrup, obviously it was the pharmacy. And then uh, soda water was discovered. So in the pharmacies back in those days, it was syrup and soda water that became, you know, the soda that we know today. So uh, little by little, then it became, uh, the, you know, soda fountains became popular and it moved away from the pharmacies. Now, World War II came along and shipping around the world was disrupted, right? You couldn't get, you couldn't get vanilla uh, because it was dangerous, uh, you know, ships to be coming in and out of the Indian Ocean or across the world. Uh, so, it, so it was very dangerous. Now, in World War II, uh, one of the interesting things that the Navy did for their soldiers to bring them around was they created a floating ice cream uh, ships that were floating from one area to another with vanilla ice cream. They, they, you know, they, they, at one point they had about 2,000 gallons of ice cream that they were distributing to, uh, to, the, um, to the Navy in order to bring morale. Now, also with, with the war, um, 
This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional-level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. A, a popular, a popular, um, now a popular uh, item that is made, it's um, the hostess company, um, they, what we call Twinkies. And Twinkies now is made out of vanilla, but back in those days, it was made of bananas. And since there was going to be this disruption of supply of vanilla, Twinkies, decide, of, excuse me, bananas, Twinkies decided to... Uh, to replace it with the much bland, the executives at the time considered to be a bland flavor of vanilla. Um, so they did that and, uh, and it became a hit. So Twinkies still to this day is made out of vanilla. So after the war, um, marketing uh, firms saw the opportunity of this culture change that was happening. Men came, uh, came back from the war and women went back to be homemakers. And basically the way uh, the companies was able to market their, their products was giving recipes to homemakers of what to do at home, what to do you know, with puddings and cakes. And obviously vanilla comes into play in these recipes. So how we see vanilla today, vanilla we, it is, Considered uh, the uh, Madagascar is going to is considered one of the one of the top countries to produce uh, vanilla, as well as Indonesia, China, Mexico, uh, and the largest importers of vanilla is the U.S., France, and Germany, and other countries. So, one of the things with um, you know within the book that I included. Uh, while I was doing research was vanilla's pop culture. And vanilla pop culture came about uh, was when I was really looking at the, the what is called vanilla pop. Um, so I, I, I actually looked into this research of vanilla pop and it came out to be that there is this underlying culture that we have adapted vanilla in 
within within the language that we never realized. So when we talk to someone of you're so vanilla, that means that you're so plain, you're boring, you're bland. Um, when uh, when we're talking about your chocolate and I'm vanilla, it's it's about you know again this this whole idea of race. When we um, when we look at in terms of um, the music, right? The music itself. Uh, the music is is uh, is is non threatening. Is is basically a genre that is soft, right? Uh, the music of Ava, you know, Millie, uh, Olivia uh, Newton-John, and the Carpenters. So sweet syrup music that is considered to be vanilla pop. Now, it's vanilla is so ingrained we don't realize that this this particular flavoring was revered by gods. It was it's in our medicine. It's it's in soap. Is in beauty products, it is in perfumes, it is in laundry detergent, and we really uh, have no appreciation for it. So um, when we when I look at vanilla, and you know the question comes along of the pop culture, you know, in terms of uh, movies, in terms of music. Uh, it also comes about with food, right? So food, uh, it's part of that. And it's not only the sweet, uh, you know, the sweet uh, desserts, right? Um, we talk about savories as well. Uh, since vanilla itself has a chemical compound of uh, about 200 to 500 different types. So in order to be part of the savory, you need to understand uh, what are the chemical compounds of it is. So I gotta give it to the French who actually were the ones that popularized vanilla in desserts, right? The Spaniards brought it to the new world, but uh, they actually put it in their chocolate, but the French really picked it up and they're the ones who put it um, in all of the beautiful desserts that we enjoy today. Now, how, how does uh, vanilla come into play in these different savory sweets, sweet tastes or uh, foods? Well, if we look at the Mexican vanilla, the Mexican vanilla, it's spicy, it's woodsy. So it goes well uh, with chocolate. It goes well with chai tea. Um, the vanilla that comes from Madagascar, which is, by the way, Madagascar in Mexico is panifolia. So that's that's basically the same vanilla uh, variety. And um, so from Madagascar, it's more woodsy and more sweet. So you use it in cakes and ice cream and pastries, seafood, soups and sauces. The Tahitian one is more used for pastry creams, for pies, for smoothies, for puddings, for custards, salad dressings, sweet potatoes and cocktails. So so each variety has its own uh, profile that you're able to use it in these different uh, foods and it's going to complement. Um, I remember reading uh, a review that someone said, oh, you know, the, she has like weird food uh, with vanilla. But if you think about it, 
if it's used if it's used in in ice cream uh it goes well with cream it goes well with butter it goes well with eggs uh so it complements it and i'm talking about the actual um the actual bean itself that you scrape off and they, they that is called a caviar right the caviar that you scrape off and then you put it into uh the salad dressing so you put it into scrambled eggs um so um this is this is why when i was looking and researching the the um flavor profile of the actual bean itself i found it to be so interesting and um the you know the the pollination that still goes on today um uh, it has to be hand cut um there is a lot of uh crime attached to it uh because um there's robbers there's corruption there's a lot of things attached to the actual uh production of it and um obviously there's there's uh the the prices of the bean itself is is higher than ever uh one because obviously of global warming two is because uh, we have a much more educated consumer who wants more natural flavors who are demanding uh for manufacturers to have more natural products um to to have more natural flavorings in their products so there's a, a a much more demand for it and i got to give it to mccormick who actually pushed for regulation of vanilla itself uh they wanted you know regu regulations to make sure that uh the beans and and the actual production of it was inconsistent not obviously obviously in the factory out in the field with the farmers is a whole different story um the farmers make they make really no money out of it uh but i you know they make a living of it and you know we have what we call vanilla murders uh because farmers end up getting involved in in you know some someone may rob their their beans and that's their livelihood so uh so some of them end up getting killed uh because of it So how I came up to with these uh, particular recipes in the book. Um uh, like I earlier mentioned, um the recipes um the I some of the recipes are more uh from my childhood. Um in there you have some you know rice pudding that I remember my mother making. Um this this flan which is a custard, you know, that's her recipe and i remember it from memory not necessarily from i had to figure out the measurement of it um so and the the cream cooler is very prevalent in the dominican republic to make um uh, because obviously is an island a tropical island is very hot so this is what they make to cool off right and um and i had some colleagues of mine that in the hospitality department that i asked them for recipes and they were you know they obviously gave me some recipes uh for the book itself because we have obviously we have culinarians and pastry uh instructors and they also worked with vanilla so they were very happy to provide those recipes 
for you know for the book. And um, I will also uh, experimented with cocktails and some of the cocktails that you see uh, in the book is part of that experimentation, as well as some beauty uh, products that at home that you can make with the actual uh, vanilla bean. So um, vanilla revered and now is part of us. It's part of a language. It's 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 in everyday home products that the average person uh, is not able to connect of how this this flavoring came about. It is the second um, uh, it's the second most expensive um, flavoring that there exists, and um, we really have no a lot of appreciation for it. I do, uh, but. Uh, needless to say, with all the research that I have done and how this book came about, I discovered that Dominican vanilla is actually uh, artificial vanilla. It is synthetic, to my disappointment. Uh, so what was an inspiration as a child, uh, you know, from my childhood, uh, became um, obviously a book and something, a discovery that it was... Um, surprising to me most extensive and fascinating history rosa uh you actually already answered many of the questions i was going to ask so you made my job much easier thank you for that um and and to uh wrap up the interview i'd like to ask uh whether you are working on something right now or uh, are you thinking about you know doing a research on a particular topic perhaps on another uh, i mean global history of another food, food item uh, in the near future? Well, I actually have been toying with the idea of another topic. Uh, at the moment, I've been involved with um, a research group for Latin American restaurants and healthy eating. So this research has been now, uh, it's now been a year where uh, we actually have interviewed uh, Latin American restaurants here in New York City, um, and we're trying to improve uh, the health of the Latino community. So, uh, so we've been quite involved in that, and at the moment, um, I'm co-writing articles with those other researchers. I have thought of also topics of uh, doing a presentation at the Oxford Food Symposium uh, coming up in 2022. So some ideas uh, running through my head while I'm co-writing two articles with this particular research group. I see. Thank you, Rosa. And um, any further comments? Any anything you want to add? Any kind of readings you want to, you know, uh, recommend or anything? Well, obviously, um, the way the topic of how did I ended up with reaction books was I was researching, um, I was doing a, a conference presentation on paella and paella in comparing it to culture. And I came up, up, came up uh, upon the book Rice uh, and Rice gave me all of the historical uh, point of, you know, all the histor history that I needed 
uh, for this conference, conference presentation. And that's how I came upon this particular edible series. And um, I recommend the series itself uh, because I believe it gives you uh, a lot of, it gives you the history, it gives you, you know, where we are, and it also gives you a lot of interesting recipes. I totally agree with you. It's one of my uh, favorite series too, Reza. Um, thank you so much, Reza, for being here and for uh, talking to me about your amazing book. I enjoyed reading it very much and I enjoyed it even um, more to discuss it with you. So thank you again. Thank you.